Good morning and welcome to High Point Church Online. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to be here with you uh, worshiping together online today. Uh, we're going to get into the message here in just a moment, but before we do, I want to even just at the front of things let you know we're going to be taking communion uh, at the end of the message. So if you want to get communion supplies ready, some juice, the bread, uh, we'll be taking that together uh, at the end of our online service. With that, let me bring you up to speed. We're in a series right now, a preaching, teaching series called That's My Jam, right? And we, we use that language when we talk about, you know, our favorite song, you know, that's just got that beat, puts you in a mood, all the, the different things. Well, we, we were, last week was supposed to be the, the end of that series, okay? But surprise, we're coming back with one more. This is what I like to call the bonus track, okay? That's my, tr that's my jam, bonus track. Some of you watching don't know what a bonus track is, right? Because all you've ever known is digital music and streaming music. And I know there's a resurgence in records and things like that. But when I was growing up, you'd go to Walmart, you'd buy the CD, you'd buy the album. And, and sometimes the, the artist would have a hidden song at the end of the album. And you would just push play Right at the end, you'd play through all the songs and you just have dead air, right? That's playing. It wouldn't even be listed on the back of the CD. And then all of a sudden, another song would start. It'd be called, it was the bonus track, the hidden track. Beyonce had hidden tracks. Backstreet Boys had bonus tracks. Uh, take it back a little further. Beach Boys, the Beach Boys even had bonus tracks. Bonus tracks were just a way to give people a little something extra. And today, that's what we're doing as well. The Bible is extra, right, on all kinds of things. And today we're going to take it in the book of Psalms, Psalm 145, and it's going to be our bonus track today. We're going to do a little, little something extra. If you're watching online, which you are, uh, I'm going to make an assumption. It may be a dangerous one, but I'm going to assume that you're watching and have watched thus far because you have some desire to grow in a relationship with God. You believe in some way, shape, or form that God is real and that you're curious about Him. You desire to know a bit more. Well, at High Point, we believe that this God, the God of the Bible, is incredible, right? But here's what I know about things that are, that are incredible. I never am able to keep it to myself, okay? I never am. I talk about it. I get excited about it. You know, I, I buy things, right? I spend money on it. I, I, th that's what we do when, when we find things incredible. Restaurants, meals, music, concerts, artists, shows, Marvel movies. Even speaking of bonus tracks, if you're like, still, I don't really get this whole bonus track thing. Think of, think of like the hidden scene at the end of a Marvel movie, right? And now you've got context for what we're getting into today. Psalm 145, our bonus track, is all about the incredible nature of God and how impossible it is to keep it to ourselves when we really catch who this God is. He's that good. He's that amazing. He's that incredible. And there is power that is released. There's, there's, there's something that's difficult to even articulate. The greatness of God is revealed as we worship Him, not just on our own, but as we worship Him together, as we share it together. Psalm 145, here we go. 
I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Don't you, you gotta love, David's the writer of the psalm here. He, he's extra, is he not? I'm gonna do this forever and ever and ever and ever, right? Infinite, repeat. Um, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. We see the word great being used literally three times in one sentence. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised and his greatness, it's unsearchable. He's that incredible. He's unbelievable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now, when we read this psalm, there's a lot more to it. And for time's sake, I'm not going to even be able to read the entire psalm for you. But know this about this psalm. This is an acrostic. And the writer here, David, has literally written a verse for every letter of the alphabet to declare the greatness of God with every single letter, right? I, I love that, it's amazing. I'm a big baseball fan. Uh, one of my favorite players of all time, uh, his name is Albert Pujols, right? Just a classic, one of the greatest players of all time. Well, one of the ways he learned English uh, was, was, was literally an acrostic, right? And every letter of the alphabet uh, was paired with an attribute of God. And that's how he learned, literally, he began to learn English. He's a Christian, has put his faith in Jesus. Amazing guy. I heard his little story, his testimony at a, at a barbecue one time in St. Louis and was just really moved by, by this acrostic. Well, acrostic right here, Psalm 145. The point of this is that you and I would catch deep in our hearts that God is beyond compare and that he is worthy of our worship. He's mind-blowingly amazing. And the language here that David uses, it almost reminds me of a kid, doesn't it? You ever get around a, a child that's excited about something and they don't even, like, they don't even fully know how to describe it? Like, how awesome is it? It's the most awesome awesomeness awesome ever. It's that awesome. How big was it? It was the biggest big, big truck, bigger than any big truck I've ever seen. That big, Dad. How how purple was it? It was the purpliest purple you can possibly imagine, right? He's literally using the same word to describe the word and description, like how great is God? He's the greatest, great, great, great God you can possibly imagine. I love that. In other words, like he's run out of words to even try to capture and describe how incredible God is. And then he goes on to say that this God, his greatness, in fact, he's so great, his greatness is unsearchable. And that doesn't mean today as you're reading the psalm that's, that we've got this free pass on, on, you know, God is unknowable, right? Or that we can't really have a relationship with, he's just unsearchable. I mean, we're, I, guess, I guess we're just not really going to understand this thing. We're never going to really know him, so just go live your life. In fact, he's just, he's unsearchable. It is what it is. It's just beyond the scope of human experience. And while there's a measure of that that is true, God is beyond the human experience. Know this. 
that when the scriptures talk about God as being unsearchable, what we're talking about is that is that the experience of God is so far beyond the limitations of human experience. It's not that you can't know him. It's that there is still, even as you know him, there's still so much more to know. And to contain this God, to act like we know this God as if we have him defined, as if we have him pinned down, well, that is an impossibility because his greatness is beyond fathom. He is truly unsearchable. Our methods, right, for trying to define this God, it just won't work. He's bigger than all of it. And this God that is that incredible, he's revealed himself to us through the word and through his son, Jesus Christ. And his son, Jesus, died on a cross for the sins of the world. That is incredible. And he rose again victorious on the third day, victorious over sin and death. That is incredible. And then he gives life to those who would put their faith and follow him as the one true king of the world and king over our hearts and our lives. That is incredible. He gives you new life. This God is amazing. He is unbelievable searchable. His greatness is the greatest greatness of all greatness. He's the most purpley purple, the most awesomeness, awesome, awesome, right? That you can get your head around. That's what David wants us to grasp here. But then he does something. I love what he writes. He says, one generation shall commend your works to another and they shall declare your mighty acts. See, when, when something is incredible, it's never left just in the realm of my personal experience. I've got to share it with somebody else. And David is talking about just an, a, 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 a great experience in that the one generation is talking about God and praising God and worshiping God alongside the other. And you don't have to be a parent to grasp this or understand the value of this, that we're passing something on that it's bigger than just us, bigger than just me, that there's a generation alongside of me, coming behind me, coming before me, that needs this as well. And yet, doesn't it sometimes feel like that's hard to do? If you've ever run a relay, well, where does the, where's the relay won and lost in a relay race? It's won and lost, not in the speed, although important. It's more often than not, it is lost in the handoff of the baton, right? The passing of things to the next leg of the race. And faith is no different. In fact, if you turn to Judges chapter 2, this is the pattern many times that we see. We certainly see it in Scripture, but we see it in our own lives as well. What is it that the Scriptures give us a picture of? Buckle up. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, meaning one generation had died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They served other gods. And they forsook the Lord. The word forsook, we don't use that word, but it means to give up. 
meaning they, they, they willfully and willingly just gave up the Lord. They just gave it up. Why? Because they didn't really care. There was no passion. There was no engagement. It didn't mean anything. If you know the story of Esau and Jacob in the Bible, Esau sells his birthright, his, his, his blessing from God. Why? Because it just didn't matter to him. He forsook it. He gave it up. I always think of this, you know, Toy Story is one of my favorite movies. Love the movie Toy Story, the whole franchise. Well, there's a scene, right, where Andy has the, the Woody doll and he drops. It's like a slow motion drop of Woody into the box. And he says, you're broken. I don't want to play with you anymore. Right? I don't want to play with you anymore. It's not the perfect analogy, but it is what it's what I think of so much in judges and in passing the next, you know, the, the faith to the next generation is that I it, it was great for you, mom and dad. It was great for you, you know, generation older than me. But that's not for me. I don't want to play with that. I don't want to play with you anymore right? And so there's this kind of moving on. It's like, it's like people feel they've graduated from it. They're indifferent to it. There's no connection to it. And so what happens? There's a forsaking, a giving up of the Lord. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel compelled to do something about that. And yes, as you're watching, and if you're watching, you may not have had an encounter or an experience with God that you would even describe as incredible. We're going to get there by the end of the message today. And I believe we'll hand you an opportunity to, in fact, experience that. But those of you that are watching that have, there should be something inside of us that, that is grieved by a generation who doesn't care about the God who has saved us from eternity apart from him, eternity in despair, eternity in hell, eternity from not from, from knowing anything good. It should grieve us that a God who saved us from our sin would be so indifferent to the next generation that we just don't care. I want to do something about that. So today I have two things for us that I believe come a bit out of the text here. Um, I'm, I'm doing my best not to read into the text um, this morning. But what we see is David and his generation worshiping alongside the next generation. We cannot ignore that and the power and significance of that moment. So the question that remains is how can faith, how can your faith in God be passed to the next generation. We know it's a big deal. We know it's important. And I'm so glad you're asking the right question. When I was in Nashville, Tennessee in ministry, I was a, uh, I was a college pastor. I worked on high schools, middle schools, and universities. It was a crazy time. Well, one of the pastors I worked with, his name was Shino. He used to play for the Titans and uh, in the NFL. And so Sometimes when he was preaching, we would laugh because, you know, he would sometimes have that athlete, and this is very stereotypical, but in this, in this instance, it, it's accurate. Um, it would just be blunt kind of locker room 
shock jock talk, right? And it was great because many times at the end of the sermon, the, the, the whole thing would get to this place and he would just say, some of y'all need to get saved. And people would, right? They'd put their faith in Jesus. Some of y'all just need to get saved, right? That's what he would say. And if you're, you know, you're watching, you're like, what does that even mean? Well, good question. To, to, to get saved, it means to put your faith in Jesus as the, as the one who saves your heart and your soul from hell and from a, from, from a life of sin. And sometimes when we talk about passing faith to the next generation, the reality is that some of us have not encountered Jesus as the savior of our heart and our soul. In other words, as Sheena would say, some of y'all just need to get saved. And that is in fact true. And he's not actually wrong. Some of y'all just need to get saved, as Shino would say. That means that it's time for this thing that we call faith to be made real in your own heart and in your own life. Some of you, uh, you you've been around Christian and Christian-y things. You've grown up in a Georgia culture. You've been around Georgia, the Bible Belt. You know some Bible verses. You, you, you know a couple worship songs. And you know the, these things. And the, the, the deception is that because we've encountered and experienced some of these external things, that our internal life has been changed. And it hasn't. And you know who sees that more than anybody else? The next generation. They can see a people talking about it, but not actually living it. And if this God doesn't really, truly have meaning to you and to me, why should we expect it to, and expect him to have meaning, to have meaning for anybody else? And so what needs to happen is our hearts need to be opened. We need to open our hearts and we need Jesus to truly be our Lord and our Savior. In other words, we need to get saved. We need to become Christians. We need to be changed from the inside out. We need to be changed. Paul writes like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 10 and 11. He's writing to the church in Corinth and he says, Godly sorrow, this grieving over the condition of your life, it brings repentance. Repentance is, is a turning away from. So there's, grief, like there's a grief that hits you over, over the life that you're living that is contrary to what God teaches, to what God has given us. It leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Eternal separation from God. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Do you see? There's a sense of urgency in all of these things. There's, a, there's an alarm. There's a, oh my gosh, I'm not right with God. I don't really know him. I know about him, but I do not know him. What do I do? 
Sometimes when I'm talking to somebody and I'll ask them, hey, have you, you know, you put your faith in Jesus? Like, have you had a moment? And they'll, they'll say, some will say yes, which is awesome. And some will say no. And I'll ask a few more kind of questions. And then at that point, generally, I leave it alone. I leave it alone for them to wrestle with where they are before an amazing and incredible God. Because when you realize that you're not in the right place or that you don't know him and you, you, you realize I really need to, then, then there's something that, that is produced in you, a sense of urgency, a questioning, an asking, a knocking on the door, a pursuing help. I need some help here. I, I, I realize I don't know this God. I don't really know him. It's not about whether you're Catholic, Baptist, whether you grew up, you know, in a church setting or not, atheist, I don't care. This is about acknowledging who Jesus is, opening your heart and accepting the fact that he is Lord, that he is Savior, and he is King. And this God will absolutely change your life. You cannot say you know him and he not change your life. You don't actually know him if you haven't been radically wrecked by this God. And I, I want to make a qualifier here because I grew up in a generation where we made it seem as though your life had to be completely put together in order to, to even acknowledge or say that you were a Christian. And that's not true either. And so Jesus is king. He is savior positionally, right? That, that is true. And yet he's also working out that salvation in your life. We're a wreck. We're a mess. We can all acknowledge that. But when Jesus is your king, he is proactively governing your heart because that's what a king does. When we would go to uh, my wife's grandparents' house, some of you can relate to this, you know, they would, sometimes they'd want to give us things. And when we talk about passing something to the next generation, Amy's grandparents, they had quilts, and these quilts had family significance. And I got to tell you, it's special. It's meaningful, right? Because you see the value and the history and all the things tied and attached in the stories that go along with this quilt. And then sometimes I laugh about, you know, some of my experiences as well on the other side, because, you know, I had a grandfather who would open up a junk drawer sometimes and just kind of pawn off things to me that were just junky that he didn't want. And the reality is he just didn't want to have to figure out where to put this piece of junk or where to throw it. And Andy, the little collector that he is and was, was all too happy, right, to receive something. But guess what? It didn't have real meaning because it just, it was just a thing. It was just window dressing. And so when we talk about faith, it's got to be real for you. It has to have meaning to you. It starts with you. If we want to pass faith to the next generation, it begins in your heart. Open your heart, accept Jesus as your king and your savior, and stop messing around. Some of y'all just need to get saved. And it's true. We need to put our faith in Jesus and truly follow him. Psalm 145 continues, right, as we move into our second point. 
David writes that you are the ones, excuse me, uh, let me back that up, wrong verse, Psalm 145, verse 5. <laughs> on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I'll meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. Catch this. I am going to meditate on this. They are going to speak about this. I will meditate here. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And there's a lot of verses that come after. But what you see is this little, little tennis game right here where David is he's talking about God as if he's this multifaceted diamond. And he's, he's one little slice of this, he's meditating on this aspect of God's greatness. But the next generation, the other ones, they, they, they're talking about this. I'm going to celebrate this. They're going to celebrate that. I'm going to praise God for this. They're going to praise God for that. I'm going to sing uh, praises for God because of this. They're going to sing him for that. And we see a worshiping of God that happens together. And yes, even in that, there is room for each generation to be drawn even to different aspects of God's goodness and His greatness. And we celebrate that together. I'm going to meditate on how amazing He is here. And guess what? My kids are going to celebrate and meditate on how amazing God is over there. And what we have to do together is have our eyes opened to the goodness and greatness of God. That's what we get to do. That's what we should do. And this is our heavenly calling, that we would out of our mouths together praise God for who He is. So how do you do that? You've got to work and work together to acknowledge God's goodness and His greatness. This is how we draw the next generation in. So here's what this looks like in my own life. You know, our kids are, we have four kids. They come home, they're in school. And so everybody's kind of running different, different paths here, you know, and, and by the way, if you have or don't have kids, this still pertains to you. Are you a teacher? This pertains to you, right? Are you, do you mentor anybody? Do you serve on a college campus in any capacity? This applies to you. Do you attend a church that has kids? It applies to you. Do you serve? You get the idea. If you're around anybody younger than you, there's a calling upon you to, yes, draw that next generation in. So when we're around the dinner table, one of the things that we do, or, or even at night as kids are going to bed, is we have a moment where we ask all our kids almost every day, what is something good that we can thank God for today? Not something that we want to happen. Not something that happened yesterday. Something that happened today. In other words, can our eyes be open enough to see God and His goodness? I'm going to praise God for this. What do you want to praise God for today? I'm going to praise Him for that. You're going to praise Him for this. And together, we praise Him for His greatness and His goodness. If we can help teach and shape the next generation 
and ourselves, might I add, to see God's goodness and greatness in the little things of our day, then we will begin to see his goodness and greatness in the large moments of our life. And this is what we want. We want to acknowledge and recognize and have eyes that see God for who he is. That can be hard because not every day feels like a good day. But this is where the reality of the gospel and you really following Jesus makes all the difference. Because there are times in my own life where this hasn't been easy. Seasons, might I add, where this hasn't been easy, where where I'm wrestling to see God's goodness and greatness in front of me. And sometimes it's a fight, and my kids can even see that, and I can see that in the hearts of my own children when they're having a hard day. And there's a reminder that takes place, and what we see so many times in the Psalms, in the laments, in the difficult Psalms where David's wrestling through is he gets through all the difficult things, and then he finally gets to a spot where he's able to take a deep breath and acknowledge again that even though this day or this season has been hard. I stand on the truth that I serve a God that's good and I serve a God that's great. There have been times where my kids have seen dad going through it. And it's not easy to find the goodness and the greatness moments and, and, and yet they, they help me because as they're declaring God's goodness and greatness, it lifts my own spirit. And then as I do the same around that dinner table or around the bed, when they're having a difficult time, it's my job to lift their spirits because I get to remind them of what God is doing and what I see and what we see. And so we are discipling and shaping one another Faith like a child and also faith like an adult, right? Where we are seeing God together and it's shaping us and it's making us a generation that worships God together. This is how we pass it on to the next generation. As we talk about God's goodness, James, the brother of Jesus, he says it like this. He says in in chapter one, verse 17, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Sometimes when we talk about God's goodness and acknowledging who He is, right, the, 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 the cynic inside of us comes out. Oh, well, that's, and we explain away the goodness of God. And yet the Bible reminds us that every good thing that you experience, ultimately, everything good, every breath of fresh air, Every heartbeat that your heart makes, every time you taste a steak and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, right? Every time that you, you, you have a great day even, ultimately those good things are a gift from God. And when we learn to acknowledge those and have our eyes open to Him, and we do that with the next generation and shape them to do the same, It's amazing how much easier it is to pass faith to the next generation because we see God at work and for who He is. 
This is how we pass it on to the next generation. Our heart must be open to Jesus as King and Jesus as Savior. And our eyes must be open to God's goodness and greatness. And we share it. We share it with and call with and teach and shape with and allow ourselves to be taught and shaped with the next generation. That's what we do. At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned that we were going to take communion. And we're going to do that. In fact, um, we're going to pause this for one second while I get supplies. And I'll be right back here uh, with my communion. Now that we have our communion ready, we're going to celebrate Jesus together. And communion is about taking the bread and taking the juice, the bread representing the body of Jesus broken on the cross for you and the the juice representing Jesus' blood spilled for you, His sacrifice for you. And as we talk about Right, passing things on to the next generation. We're talking about celebrating together, worshiping together, but, but what is it that we're celebrating? We're celebrating who Jesus is and what he has done. Thank God for his goodness. Thank God for his greatness. Thank God that he gives us a way to experience new life, salvation in him. Luke writes in chapter 24, As we take communion together, verse 46, he says, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of all these things. You, me, as we're watching online, we're witnesses of this. What do we do? We, we profess that Jesus is king and you have your heart open, right? You open your eyes to his goodness and greatness and we celebrate as witnesses who he is and what he's done. I want to encourage you right now to go ahead and take the bread, which represents Jesus' broken body for you. And go ahead and take the juice represents his blood spilled for you. Jesus, we thank you in this moment that you are king, that you are Lord and Savior, and that you are good and great. We are witnesses of this fact. And Father, today we put our faith in you. And we choose to have our eyes open to your working, and to your moving, and to your goodness at work in our lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen, church. Great to be with you today. So thankful to get to celebrate with you, take communion with you, get in the Bible together. Here's what I want to ask you to do. If you put your faith in Jesus today, I know doing this digitally, it can feel a little awkward. It can be difficult, right? Um, we would prefer probably to have it a little more personal, but the truth is, Uh, It's where we are. We're watching on YouTube in this moment. And so I'm asking you to take a a bold step of faith here and not to keep this to yourself. If, If Jesus has done something meaningful in your heart, then let's not keep it to ourselves.
And so I'm asking that you would message our church so that we can help you take your next steps in faith. You can message the church literally in the comment thread on YouTube right here if you so prefer. Um, but even probably easier or better would be to message us on Facebook. You'll see the slides uh, in just a moment on Facebook, Instagram. Um, those are some of the best places uh, to find us and message us um, and help you get connected. And with that, have a great week. Love you. We'll see you right here next Sunday.